Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. So Emily Styron, the mayor of Zionsville, Lord Styron, uh, dictator Styron, who if you don't agree with her, she'll tell you F you and F this and F that and F your mom. And I, I don't know, a lot of, lot of, lot of Fs, lot, lot, crap ton of Fs. F these people. She has decided that she is not running for another term as mayor of Zionsville. Well, of course not. The people hate her guts. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. What is going on? It's good to be back. Find everything. TonyKatz.locals.com. If you would, and don't forget the video series on Rumble presented by Americans for Prosperity, AmericansforProsperity.org. Um, she is the one who uh, was talking about was it guns. I guess she's one of these people talking about gun violence and, and things like that, that, that nonsense term. And someone said, well, what about this and what about that? And she's like, well, blank you and blank your me, mom. Sick and tired of you. Person was bringing up like a, like a rational point of view, just a question and full on attack from the mayor. And what did I say? What did I say the minute it happened? She's running for governor. Oh, she's going to be the nominee for governor. I still believe that to be true. I absolutely positively believe it. Why would I question it? Who else do the Democrats have? The answer is absolutely positively no one. Uh, she put out a statement um, uh, telling the IBJ, the Indianapolis Business Journal, she won't seek a, a second term, telling the IBJ, quote, it's clear we're crushing it, and I want to go out a good note. What the hell? Cru- <laughs> Who knows what she's talking about? Oh, that's awesome. That is terrific. I know I could do a lot of good work in the state of Indiana outside of being an elected official. She's running. Now, of course there's a possibility I could be wrong. I am 50-50 on this concept of her running. I could be 50% right or 50% wrong. I, I mean, just it's possible. It's my take that, that she is running. But the best is John Stair is running for mayor of Zionsville. John Stair, formerly WTHR, longtime news guy. He's running. He's running for mayor. Quote, Mayor Styron's announcement comes as no surprise to anyone who has watched her contentious relationship with the town council for the past three years. Her brief tenure as mayor has been filled with controversy, poor communication and mismanagement. So he's taken all advantage of this as much advantage of this as uh, possibly can. I... I'm very curious as to what the people of Zionsville are going to do. Who's going to now take over for uh, this Democrat who is not running in Styron? Remember, she she won this race uh, almost by by luck. And she has proven herself not to be an effective mayor. If you say to me, well, uh, she was able to launch the Zionsville Parks Foundation, 
We're talking about effective. All the, the, the flood of attention that she brought to the city is bad attention about her. All of it is about her. All of it is about what her, her negativity, her hatred. And I know what you're saying. I don't live in Zionsville. But I've got somebody in my government who's just like that. That's the point. There's always someone. There's, there, you, there are plenty of people you can point out who are, are, are just like that. But I want to put, put down my marker. She's running. She's running. Look, you've got everyone and their mother running on the Republican side for governor. Crouch. Uh, Braun, you, you've got, uh, what, what's his name, uh, Gooden, G- uh, Doden, Eric Doden, is it that, oh my gosh, I can't, I forget his name, it's Doden, right, so, oh wait a second, I was gone for a few days, maybe, maybe that's what we'll blame it on, Eric Doden, D-O-D-E-N, DodenforIndiana.com. and you're gonna, you may have more Republicans by the time, uh, you know, this next couple weeks is out, but who do you really have as a Democrat? You got to throw up a sacrificial lamb, boo-boo. You got to throw him out there. And that person has to be styrin. You got to put some... Now, you say to me, wait a second, what about Jennifer McCormick, the former superintendent of public instruction? She used to be a Republican, and then uh, it turns out she doesn't actually care if kids get educated as long as teachers get theirs. That... That's Jennifer McCormick. I'm more than willing to have the conversation. I'm going to say those words. This is how she comes off. She made this choice. So she could be a Democrat running. Why shouldn't Styron run? Why not? Get you some name ID. Maybe get you a good gig somewhere. I'm saying it's coming. It is coming. Who knows? Maybe she'll move to Indianapolis and run against Hogsett. Shackleford is. A couple others are. Are we forgetting we're going to have a real unique primary in Marion County for Indianapolis mayor? Yes, we are. And remember when Indianapolis used to have a football team? Yeah, those are good times. Those are good times. JMV is here to discuss it. Keep it here. I'm Tony Katz. So Purdue basketball, they finally get a loss as opposed to Purdue football which just got trounced, and it's hard to even blame them considering the number of players who decided, nah, not going to play, going to walk away from this team. Then there's just the travesty that is the Colts, but you get to take a look at the opportunity that is the Pacers. It is a weird, weird bit of total black and white, total 180 that you see all across the state. Tony Katz, so good to be with you. JMV joins us right now, 93.5, 107.5. The fan, I want to go over this Colts disaster of a team, but of course it was last night, the Bills and the Bengals, uh, the tackle from DeMar Hamlin that took place, Buffalo Bills safety. He then collapses a cardiac uh, a moment, cardiac arrest, as is described uh, by the Bills. The decision to postpone uh, this game, that was the only decision that was ever going to get made, correct? Yeah, there's no doubt about that. They were not going to move forward with that. That was, uh, that was as scary a moment as you were ever going to be, to be watching as a sports fan. And, you know, there were some significant moments you know, in the past that, you know, you, you remember today the, the John Lennon um, 
death announcement uh, back in 1980 by Howard Cosell. You had the Joe Theismann tackle uh, in the Giants-Washington uh, game back in the mid-'80s. But I mean, last night was was so, so scary, uh, just so real, and obviously it trumped anything. And, Tony, you're right, there was no way in the world that game was going to be played, nor should have been. Let's uh, keep it in football, and let's take a look at the Indianapolis Colts losing to the New York Giants, but it's much more than losing uh, to the New York Giants. It is This is a terrible team that has absolutely no interest whatsoever, whatsoever, in playing football. Is that a correct analysis, or is that just a little too extreme? No, 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 no. I, I think that if you're looking at it that way, the way that they have played and just consistently game after game found new ways to embarrass themselves and, and those that spend the money, especially to watch them, yes, I think that is an accurate assessment. We don't know exactly if any of them have checked out, but their level of play, Tony, on the field looks like it and especially has looked like it since, you know, going back to that, that Vegas game, that takeover by Jeff Saturday as an interim head coach. They win that Vegas game and it has just got collectively, as we've moved forward, worse and worse, it seems. Some of the more embarrassing moments, Tony, that I can remember going all the way back to when the Colts arrived here in 1984. We're talking embarrassing football up until that point in time and the beginning of the Manning era. Some of the most embarrassing football that I have seen in a season has been played in this particular season. And we'll see what happens. Next Monday, Tony, is going to be uh, – interesting for Colts fans. I know that they fired their coach already, and Jeff Saturday is the interim coach, but I know what Jim Irsay said a couple of weeks ago about Chris Ballard. I don't know sitting here right now talking to you if uh, Jim Irsay feels the same now as he might have before the taping of that particular interview before the Minnesota game a couple of weeks ago. I, I think the, the Ballard thing is going to be worthy of watching here, I think next week so you think that you'll see the colts play the texans in houston it's a one o'clock game 415 comes win or lose we're going to get the word that chris ballard's been fired um i'm not suggesting i've bounced back and forth on this a little bit because the owner has said that you know he was going to be back but it just to me it kind of feels like it has absolutely run its course and I'll, i'll give you this tony if if, for example, you were to ask me if I thought that Jeff Saturday would be back or Chris Bow would be back, I had to pick one. As I sit here and talk with you right now, uh, and it makes zero sense because there's zero way in the world you can bring Jeff Saturday back as the head coach, I would pick Jeff Saturday considering where this team is right now. Now, we'll see if that changes, but that is that is just my thought. My thought has changed a little bit over the past two weeks, and considering what Jim Mercer had said before that Minnesota game, for wait, sure. Wait, so, so what has changed? The idea that, that Jeff Saturday can remain as coach? Um, the idea that Jim believes in Jeff Saturday, regardless of this incredible mess that we have seen, and this is the truth, believes in him, trusts him, trusts his voice more so than he does Chris Ballard right now. And I, look, people are going to say this, Tony. People are going to say, hey, you know, you've been beating the drum for Chris Ballard to be gone all season long. And while that is true, um, I, I do look at this, I think, realistically. And it just kind of – I get this feeling that Jim Irsay trusts Jeff Saturday even with this mess that he's been a part of right now more than he does 
Chris Ballard. I think, Tony, you can see some of these decisions we have seen. The Jeff Saturday one in particular, the Chris Ballard, my opinion, one in zero part of, you can just kind of see to me that maybe this is nearing the end. And again, who knows? I think on a daily basis, Jim Mercer probably thinks one thing and the next day the other. But sitting here right now, that's kind of the philosophy I would take going into Monday after that regular season finale against the Texans. Talking to JMV from 93.5-1075, the fan. There's no doubt that he trusts Saturday more than Ballard. I believe that to be true, just as the from the anecdotal. The, what Saturday has managed to do is to lose the fans in this idea of, you know what, give it a shot. Give them a try. Let's see what happens. Let's hope for the best. Nobody wants Jeff Saturday to come back at this stage of the game. That may have been true even after the Steelers' loss, where he was now 1-2 and two on the season. You know what? Give him a shot. He's going to be all right. Nobody is talking about Jeff Saturday coming back. And if he does bring Saturday back as a coach, Jim Ursay is going to get laughed at. Now, you bring Ursay, you, you, you bring Saturday back as a GM or some other position, maybe some people can take that. Maybe, maybe. Here's the play moving forward, Tony. The play moving forward is to go hard, and I know people probably are bummed about what they saw in Michigan over the weekend, but go hard after Jim Harbaugh, who reportedly now is open to any NFL overtures, so we shall see. Denver's already reaching out, man. Denver's pushing hard. Jim needs to get in there and start pushing, too, because you're looking for something that – you mentioned the fan base, Tony, and something that might you know inspire just a little bit. Um, an uninspired fan base, to me, more, maybe not universally, but more so than not, fans would be inspired with hiring Jim Harbaugh. And to me, that's when you also decide to go a different direction at general manager. Now, we'll see. A lot of people tell me, Tony, that it comes down to with Chris Ballard money because Jim's going to be paying you know, Frank Wright, going to be paying, obviously, a new head coach, whomever that's going to be. And people tell me that he doesn't want to have to pay Ballard and then a new general manager as well, but that's baloney. That's baloney from a standpoint of we hear all the time, it doesn't matter to him what money is he wants to win. You know, it's the guy that, you know, buys guitars and, you know, these uh, musical relics and things. That should not matter. And in this case, I don't think it will. I just think that the big play here, Tony, is, is Harbaugh. Whether or not Harbaugh would be interested, Remains to be seen. But the big play for Ursay coming up here is that of Jim Harbaugh. We'll see if he goes that direction. Before before I let you go, let's take a look at that uh, Citrus Bowl. The LSU Tigers, 63. The Purdue Boilermakers, 7. And it wasn't that close. Um, first, uh, you know, I... I, I, I never put myself in a place where I'm like, you know, I know the full history of, of some of these teams and, and some of these coaches. Man, do I not like Brian Kelly. And then uh, the follow-up, <laughs> I don't even know if I can get mad at Purdue because they didn't even have a team to field, really. Now you don't, you don't like Brian Kelly, a dude that's running like reverses and stuff in the second half of a 35-point game? Yeah, that's that's a lot of probably what you don't like with Brian Kelly, uh, among other things. But yeah, it was it was JV versus the varsity, uh, and it may have been a, a, a beat down anyway, Tony. But at the same time, without some of your major players, you knew that's the direction that they were they were going to end up going. So yeah, it, it was it was ugly to say the least, and really a bad day for Purdue all the way around. That blowout, 
at the Citrus Bowl, and then the Boilermakers, you know, are going to fall from number one after being upset by Rutgers last night in basketball. So altogether, not a great day for Boilermaker fans yesterday, buddy. Well, Hoosiers didn't even make it to a bowl game, so you know. No, I guess no, perspective. no, 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 I'm not, I'm not defending you by any I'm just, respect. I'm just giving a little, yeah. giving a little weight to the thing. That's JMV <laughs> right there. I appreciate yeah. you, man. Always appreciate JMV joining the show. All right. I'm, I'm, I'm more than happy to put myself out on the limb and say that Jeff Saturday did the thing and now it's done. But I don't think that's the case. I think Jeff Saturday is going to stay with the team somehow. I don't think Chris Ballard is. I disagree with many that somehow because of this, that uh, if this this goes doubly bad for Frank Reich. I've seen a couple people put this out there that, that, that Frank Reich's career is ruined because of this. I don't believe that at all. Not for a second. Do I believe that Frank Reich won't be back somewhere in the NFL as an offensive coordinator and possibly again as a head coach? Why would I why would I think that somehow his career is over or done or finished? Very, very odd. In the same way that I don't believe that Jeff Saturday's opportunities as a head coach are done and, and over. I, I wouldn't believe that. What I think is done and over, certainly I think Chris Ballard is done and over. What's done and over is Indianapolis, Indiana as a whole, putting up with Jim Irsay's nonsense anymore. That is over. Stop promising us a winner. Stop telling us how great people are. Stop telling us about your commitment. Show or shut. That's going to be where the fan is now. Show us or shut up. The players show up. The team show up. The wins show up. Or you, Jim say shut up. That's where it's at, man. I'm, I am convinced, convinced that it, it, it's, it, it's clear to me, clear to me that Jim Irsay has lost serious face with the fan base. The fan base no longer trusts Jim Irsay. They don't believe in Jim Irsay. They are questioning whether or not Jim Irsay is good for this team, and the answer is no, he's not, although he might be a heck of a nice guy. Too much emotion and not enough work getting done, and that's where we're at. This is where we're at with the team. Not deniable, not a debate, just where we're at. So... With that, I say that Saturday could come back. Ballard doesn't come back. But the fan base has had it with Jim Irsay. Show up or shut up. That's where the fans are. Tell me I'm wrong. If I'm lying, I'm dying. Tony Katz, good to be with you, Tony Katz, today. Be right back. Department of Energy reports China controls 80% of rare earths. Those are the ingredients Ben was talking about in production and refining. That goes into generators for wind turbines. China controls 61% of global lithium refineries for battery storage and electric vehicles. You can't go green right now without China. 
It's true. And uh, deglobalizing was inflationary enough. Buying new stuff was inflationary. If you're going to put new infrastructure in place, it has a, as a financial cost. How are we going to do this uh, without going through China? Well, the answer is we can't, not right away. If this is your focus, how do you deal with China 2025? How do you deal with China going deep blue? How do you deal with China's continual theft of intellectual property? How do you deal with China quite literally engaging in the kidnapping of people, not letting them leave the country until they give up certain pieces of information? If what you're worried about is going green, Tony Katz, good to be with you, Tony Katz, today. Stephen Yates joins us right now, senior fellow and chair of the China Policy Initiative at the America First Policy Institute. And I had come across this story over at News Nation. Biden taking tougher stance on China in 2023. And I take a look at that. And I then follow it up with the video clip or or the audio for you guys that I just shared with you. And you're like, well, how in the world do you square the circle? So let's start with a baseline, Uh, Stephen. You serve as the uh, senior fellow and chair of the China Policy uh, Initiative. You uh, worked, of course, as president of Radio Free Asia. You spent time in the White House as deputy assistant to Vice President Dick Cheney for National Security Affairs. Do we have the right basic approach to China if green is on our agenda? Uh, We absolutely do not. Uh, And there are several layers to what the problem is, but it really begins with a failure to recognize that what China has today should have one of those stickers of America saying, I did that, because uh, the trillions of dollars of investment that went in, the trillions of dollars in technology transfer that went in, the willful movement of supply chains to China as a global manufacturing hub for the world, that was not done by miraculous policy decision-making by the Chinese Communist Party. That was done by a globalist ideology in the West, led by the United States. And so if we put ourselves in this position, uh, you have to begin with, then we have the ability to take ourselves out of that position. But if our goal is going green over all else, it also doesn't make much sense to rely so much on China because they don't care about quality, humanity, standards, transparency, any of the things that should matter if someone scientifically believed in going green, because China most certainly is not. So so one of these conversations is about the ideology, uh, the progressive, the, the political left's ideology, the Biden administration ideological desires, which absolutely seem to come into conflict and surpass reality. The other one was this from Jake Sullivan, the National Security Advisor, and this is the quote. We are facing a competitor, meaning China, that is determined to overtake U.S. technological leadership and willing to devote nearly limitless resources to that goal. Sullivan then referred to it as the, quote, protect agenda, unquote. If you're in the conversation of protection, that's a totally defensive position. You're telling me there's nothing in this administration that is on offense trying to thwart China and China's China's goals, which are very, very damaging to the world, never mind just the U.S.? 
No, you're absolutely correct. These are the two sides of the dilemma that the administration and those who think like them in both parties have put themselves on. Uh, I don't think it's a dilemma that a majority of American households struggle with. Uh, once we know that there is a government that lied about and transmitted a virus that killed millions of people and stole trillions of dollars, once we know that the the United States and our families and businesses have become so dependent on critical goods coming from China and their unreliable government, uh, and the, gov- the government of China itself openly declaring the United States is not its friend, it's at best a competitor, but they're actually more honest than our leaders. They say outright that they seek to overtake us, that they are at odds with us, and they mean to defeat us. Uh, and when they say uh, when they when they refer to us, they mean our American way of life, such that we've known it. So uh, this is not, as uh, National Security Advisor Sullivan says, an era of competition. This is an adversarial conflict, a war of sorts. It's just war by other means. And our only choice is, are we going to sober up and respond, or are we going to pretend that we can send John Kerry to negotiate the climate deal of the century, at the same time sort of protecting us some of the time from the worst manifestations of China's attacks? Talking to Steve Yates, Senior Fellow and Chair, China Policy Initiative at the America First Policy Institute, AmericaFirstPolicy.com. Give me a rundown. Give me a breakdown. When we talk about what China is trying to accomplish, it always comes off as this boogeyman conversation. Get into specifics. What is it that you are seeing that has you and others concerned? Well, number one, they active. Number one, they gratefully accept all that we give them. <laughs> That's kind of an irony of the whole situation. They know that they're completely dependent on tax transfer and a permissive environment from the United States and the West generally, and they they accentuate their access to our systems to exploit or extrapolate for their own use the things that lead to their modernization. So what we're seeing, verifiably confirmed in unclassified intelligence assessments that get transmitted to Congress, that China's space, sea, air, and land capabilities have all increased at rates that outpace estimates and predictions from five, ten years prior. So we are helping them outpace us in critical national security areas. We know that they manipulate international organizations and gain votes in order to avoid transparency and accountability for them, but also to minimize the ability of the United States and others to impose sanctions or penalties when China gets caught doing things that are hostile the way Russia has gotten caught doing things that are hostile. So we know that they're moving to insulate themselves in a way to decouple themselves from the United States and the international financial system. And so under those circumstances, you have to ask yourself if they are so hell-bent on uh, trying to push forward all of these offensive national security tools, offensive economic warfare tools, and at the same time insulating themselves from any kind of sanction, uh, then isn't that almost an implicit admission that what they're up to is not friendly or competitive? It's hostile. It's warfare. Let's discuss 
the the hostility part of it because I, I remember when this came up. I almost want to say it was a year ago. It could have been longer, and it was about how China had launched a probe and landed uh, on the moon, and not just on the moon, on the dark side of of the moon. And some people took this as okay, it's it's the moon. We've already been there. Uh, this is no big deal. But for China, this is a big deal because we have reached a new stage, which is how can one weaponize the moon? NASA themselves says that China could decide to claim the moon as their own territory if it beats the U.S. to basically... um, I don't want to say commodifying, but militarizing the surface of the moon. This isn't a joke. This isn't science fiction. This is happening right now. As you see it, uh, how legit is NASA's worry? And what is the U.S. response? We saw the formation of Space Force. We haven't seen anything since, although there were some conversations today uh, about it. How does one combat this? Well, I think it's an absolute legitimate question and concern. Uh, This is something that's a very high priority for the Communist Party of China for national security, scientific purposes, but also political and sort of leadership pride purposes. It mattered a great deal to the United States to be able to reach the moon. uh, And it matters a great deal to have dominance in space. And if we're dealing with a government in China that can't be trusted to safely operate a bioweapon or biomedical research facility, why would anyone think that they would be responsible stewards of space? And so much of our modern life, including our modern security, depends on safe and reliable access to space-based assets. And so part of China's strategy is not necessarily doing everything the United States does better than the United States. It's finding ways to divide, thwart, defeat the United States uh, so that the U.S. is pulled back down below their level and pushed back from feeling as if it has an opportunity to pressure or deter China. That's what it seeks. And so the ability to disrupt in space is cheaper and easier If you have a base on the moon and if you have a lot of other satellite and other space based assets. And so uh, that, I think, is a very real part of our life uh, that people are slow to wake up to. We are dependent on advanced chips, but we're also dependent on access to safe and reliable space assets. Talking to Steve Yates of the America First Policy Institute, senior fellow and chair of the China Policy Initiative. The question always gets asked is, where are our allies in this? Where are other people? They recognize that China's a problem. They recognize that the Uyghur Muslims have been put under lock and key. They're slaves. They recognize that China lied about COVID, won't let loose on how COVID originated, won't share information, don't care who gets harmed. They understand that communists are liars by nature. But where are these other nations to say, you know what? We're done here. We're done with this silliness, this idea that China has this complete and total control of society writ large. Is this the truism that people won't admit, or is there a lack of fight for another reason? Well, it's a mixed bag, depending on which region and which allies and partners. Uh, When it comes to Japan, they have a much more sober assessment of what 
the leadership of China is currently doing, the national security, economic security, and other civilizational challenges that it presents. And one of the solutions to be a part of our mix is to work with allies like Japan for them to accelerate their uh, reach into space, their role in advanced technology, manufacturing, and supply chains, whether in Japan or in other parts of the world, but under their supervision. Uh, And so with Japan, we have runway that is there to develop. With uh, a partner like India, they're not going to align with us, but they deeply distrust China. And their development in the manufacturing in these spaces is a helpful way to balance what China is trying to do. I think the gravest frustration is with Europe. Uh, in that they know what these risks are. Uh, And we seem to have a repetitive conversation a la Merkel and Russia, but also just Europe and China. From time to time, they say the right words, and they seem to make baby steps in the right direction, but they don't contribute anywhere near what the scale of their economies and the magnitude of their geopolitical weight could be to trying to get this right. They leave it to America alone, uh, and that, I think, is not an acceptable balance, and it's something that real leadership in the White House needs to be pushing much harder on, whether it's with regard to Europeans stepping up versus Russia. Russia, but even more so, Europe cannot take a pass on the risks of standing up to China with regard to manufacturing and space. So we go back to where we started. This article that I had sent you from News Nation, Biden taking tougher stance on China in 2023. Have you seen anything that shows that the Biden administration is taking a tougher stance? No, until John Kerry is removed from duty, the trump card, so to speak, in their policy is always going to be seeking an agreement with China on what they what what the Biden administration defines as the most geostrategically significant challenge of our time, which is climate. As long as they continue to see the world through that lens, China knows that they will not be success, they will not be successfully pressured or coerced into changing course. They can continue to negotiate here or there on their terms. Stephen Yates, you can find him at AmericaFirstPolicy.com, Senior Fellow and Chair of China Policy Initiative. I appreciate you taking the time to be with us. More is coming up. I'm Tony Katz. No speaker. No speaker. The votes not going Kevin McCarthy's way. There were, what, what, was, what was it? It was a 10 votes for Biggs, and then there were like 10 votes for others. Jim Jordan got a whole bunch of votes. Congressman Jim Banks got a vote. I don't know. Byron Donalds. Was it, is it Bryson Donalds? or It's Byron Donalds, right? From Florida, I, I like him. Yeah, Byron Donalds. I got it right. He got a vote. Well, they figured if uh, if uh, McCarthy wasn't going to win, just boom, put it out there. Just put it out there. 
I, I honestly am not so sure how this is going to uh, go down. Because um, I don't see McCarthy dropping, and nothing changes until McCarthy drops, unless someone like Biggs is like, all right, I made my point. I made my point, and now I'm going to go get from McCarthy what I want, and that's it. That's it. So maybe he can make himself a deal and make some other people happy. I'm not 100% sure. Or does this go another round or two, and McCarthy's like, you know what? These people don't want me. Daddy got to bounce. 19 Republicans voted against McCarthy. Here's uh, the list. Biggs, Bishop, Boebert, Breeshen, who voted for uh, Jim Banks, Cloud, Clyde, Crane, Gates, Good, Gosar, Harris, uh, Paulina Luna, uh, Miller, Norman, uh, Ogles, Ogles, yeah, Perry, uh, who is the head of the Freedom Caucus, Rosendale, Chip Roy, and uh, Self. So we'll get into it tomorrow, guys. Find everything, TonyCats.locals.com. TonyCats.locals.com. Tomorrow, everyone, take care.